The scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 116. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Page 955 in the Bibles that are in the pews. As we approach God's word, let's come together in a prayer for illumination from the Holy Spirit. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of these ancient words that you give us in your word. We thank you for the way that they challenge us and stretch us and grow us, for the way that they confront the worldview that we are taught through our culture and teach us to live a new life transformed in your presence. Lord, we pray as we read these words today that you would send your Holy Spirit to be among us, to fill our hearts, to open our minds and our ears to what you would have us hear, and to transform our lives so that we might be molded evermore into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me, The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. That's the end. There's nothing on the next page. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, since the very foundation of the church, the Psalms have been the backbone of Christian worship. Even before that, the Psalms were the center of Jewish worship. Many people find prayer books and hymnals and devotionals helpful for their own spiritual walk, and the Psalms are sort of like a prayer book and a hymnal for the whole church. The Psalms were written by specific people in specific situations, but through the faithful guidance of God's Holy Spirit, these various different songs and hymns and poems and prayers were collected into what we now call the Book of Psalms. Together with the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Sacraments, the Psalms have been a cornerstone of Christian worship for 2,000 years. 
One of the great things about the Psalms is that they cover a whole host of human emotions and responses to God. We have Psalms of praise, where the psalmist praises God for the beauty of creation or for his faithfulness to his people, for keeping his promises, for the great deeds that he's accomplished throughout history. We have Psalms of thanksgiving, like Psalm 116 that we read for today, where the psalmist thanks God for his faithfulness and for delivering him from death. The longest psalm, Psalm 119, is a beautiful acrostic poem of thanksgiving that thanks God for the gift of his holy word. We have hymns and doxologies. We have liturgical songs about worshiping in the temple and about God's work of salvation among his people and about God's lordship over the earth and about God's covenant with his people. We have wisdom psalms like Psalm 1 and Psalm 127 that talk about the way of the wise and the path to a life of blessing, a whole host of emotions. But one of the interesting things about the book of Psalms is that the most common type of psalm, the psalm that is most common throughout the book, is the psalm of lament. These psalms cry out to God in anger and in rage because of the circumstances that people are in. They shout at God to remember his people, to not turn his face from those who serve him. They scream at the injustice of the world, angry at how the rich oppress the poor and how the strong take advantage of the weak and how those who serve God so often to be worse off than those who don't. Psalms of lament because things are not the way that they're supposed to be. The Psalms give us language for speaking to God. And this is why the Psalms have been such a foundational part of Christian worship since the time of the apostles. The Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms give us the words to say when we can't think of the words to express ourselves. The Psalms show us how we can bring our emotions before God, even when those emotions aren't pretty and aren't the kinds of things that people let you show in church. God gives us the words to express our pain, to express our anger, our fears, our hopes, our faith, our trust, our love. God gives us the words here in his word to cast all our cares upon him. The Psalms don't shy away from the raw reality of human emotion. But in the midst of that, they also don't forget about who God is. They don't forget about God's faithfulness. And in the Psalm that is our text for today, we see those two things come together beautifully. Psalm 116 is not a psalm of lament, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. But in the midst of its thanksgiving, it doesn't forget about the tough times, when the going gets rough, when things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. The psalmist in verse 3 writes about a terrible time in his life. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. But the English translation hardly does it justice. This passage in the Hebrew is, it's heart-wrenching, it's emotional, it's visceral. In the Hebrew, this verse is three lines with three words in each line, sort of like death's ropes trap, hell's terrors follow, pain follows sorrow. It's just boom, 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 sort of in your face. And throughout the Hebrew text of this verse, there's this seething sort of hissing sound using a letter that we don't have in English, like a T and an S together. You see what I mean? There's a visceral sort of emotion to this verse in the Hebrew. A groaning, a gasping, a seething. 
the form fits the content. The psalmist doesn't just want you to read that he almost died. The psalmist wants you to sputter, to stutter, to spit, to hiss, to come face to face with death alongside of him. And if any of you has ever been with a person when they died, you know that this is what death is like. When people die, they don't just quietly fall asleep. Their breathing becomes ragged. They begin to sputter as their body pushes up fluids from their lungs. They hiss as their lungs collapse. People call this the death rattle. And if any of you have sat with a person as they lay dying, you know the sound. These are the sounds that the psalmist wants you to hear when you read this verse. The hissing, the spitting, the rattling. Death is not pretty. Death is not nice. And the psalms don't shy away from that fact. Death should make us angry because it's not the way that things are supposed to be. The Welsh poet Dylan Thomas wrote a poem full of similar emotions when his own father was dying, and I'd like to read it for you so that you get an idea in the English of how people express these same sort of emotions. Thomas writes, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day, rage, rage against the dying of the light. The wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright their, fa their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way, do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, Curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Rage, anguish, sorrow, anger. These are the emotions of death. The emotions that Thomas and the psalmist want us to feel. And scripture does not shy away from these emotions. Death is an evil and terrible thing. Death is a frightening thing. Death is a perversion of the creation that God has made. And yet, death is the one thing that all of us share in common. The psalmist brings us to this place. This place of death. This place of inescapable and inevitable end. The trap of death held me tight. The terrors of hell stared me in the face. I was faced with distress and deep sadness. And that was when I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. In the midst of this fear, this anger, this anguish, this sputtering, hissing rage in the face of death, the psalmist calls on the name of the Lord for deliverance, and God answers. The psalmist writes, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. 
The psalmist tells us about a time when God delivered him from death. When things were bad and he was dying and God saved him from all of that. We don't have any details about it. We aren't given any specifics of what was going on in the psalmist's life. We don't even know who wrote this psalm. All we know is that the psalmist was facing death, was facing the terrors of hell, was facing trouble and sorrow, and God delivered him. God delivers his servant from death. This is one of the most common descriptions of God in the Old Testament. The Lord is a God who delivers his servants from death, a God who delivers his people from slavery and bondage, a God who frees the captives and heals the sick and welcomes the foreigner and raises the dead. Our God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Over and over again, the Old Testament reminds us of this truth. When scripture tells us about God's judgment, it always reminds us of God's mercy. When it tells us about God's jealousy, it's always in the context of God's faithfulness. When scripture tells us about God's anger, it's always in the context of God's love. God delivers Abraham from idolatry, delivers the Israelites from slavery. He delivers Judea from exile. Throughout the Old Testament, the nature of God is consistent. God delivers his servant from death. And this character of God continues into the New Testament. God is faithful and true and good. In the Old Testament, God sends his word to his people through the prophets. But in the New Testament, God sends his own son. God comes to us, to a people who are stubborn, who are selfish, who are arrogant, who do not follow his commands or walk in obedience to him, or even recognize that he is our creator and king. God comes to us. And walks alongside us and calls us to himself. Life can be hell. People make it hell. It, seems, it sometimes seems like the thing that we're best at is making the world a terrible place. We find increasingly creative ways of poisoning the ground and the water and even the air. We find more and more sophisticated ways of killing each other. We find more and more complex justifications for ignoring each other. It's not even so much the constant fear that something will go wrong, because we all know that eventually something will. We'll get cancer or heart disease or diabetes or hit by a car or shot. These things will happen someday. And that's scary. But even more scary for a lot of people, I think, is the idea of what will happen when those things do happen to us. Who will take the time to take care of me? Who will continue to love me? Who will sit by my side when I'm dying? Or will I die alone? These fears, fears of abandonment, fears of being ignored, fears of being forgotten, fears of being left behind, this is hell. But we know a God who enters into that hell with us. Jesus comes into this earth and lives through all of that. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess together that Jesus descended into hell, and the Heidelberg Catechism explains that this means that Christ our Lord suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier. Jesus is arrested for crimes he does not commit. Witnesses lie about him. 
He is ignored by, by the political authorities and handed over to his enemies. The citizens of the city of Jerusalem choose to set free a murderer rather than him. His apostles and followers and closest friends abandon him. He's charged with blasphemy against the name of God and sentenced to death on a cross where he hangs, beaten bloody for hours. And when his soul is at the brink of death, when the cords of death entangle him, when the terrors of hell stare him in the face, when pain and sorrow are more a part of him than his own flesh and bones, he cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The terrors of hell, the coils of death, pain and sorrow. This is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. We believe in a God who created the whole world, who is all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, present everywhere all the time, a God who cannot be moved, cannot be changed, cannot be beaten, cannot be overthrown, a God who is love and goodness and holiness and purity, a God who is king over all the earth. And yet our God is revealed to us most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ whose crown is thorns, whose throne is a cross, whose palace is a tomb, whose royal entourage abandons him in his hour of need. This is where we see our God most clearly, in hell, alone, abandoned, dying. God enters into our hell. He goes through it in order to deliver us from it. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament tells us that we are already dead. We are dead in our sins. We are enslaved to our flesh. We do not have the vital stuff of life to pick ourselves up and bring ourselves out of the mire of corruption. But God does. God is powerful to defeat death and he has done it. Three days after Jesus is crucified, he is raised from the dead by the powerful hand of the Father. He is delivered from death, and he is the first fruits of the resurrection to assure us and to comfort us all. He is delivered from death. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know the power of God. We know the victory of God. We know the promises of God are true and will come to pass. And this is why we can say with the psalmist, Be at rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Because we have been delivered from death by the powerful hand of our God, who paid the debt that we owe for our rebellion against God and reconciled us back to himself. Be at rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is what the psalmist describes, and we can sing it with him because we know with certainty that these things will come to pass for us as well. The psalmist compares this life to the life to come. Now our souls die, our eyes weep, our feet stumble and fall. But when Christ returns to make all things new, he will restore our souls to life. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will set us on sure feet so that we may run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. 
we will certainly walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And so we can face death without fear, knowing that God is faithful even in the face of death and loves us so much that the Son of God himself came to earth to walk through the valley of the shadow of death alongside of us, to face the terrors of hell along with us, to defeat the curse of sin for us. Make no mistake, death is still the enemy. If any of you have, has ever been with someone as they were dying, you know that without a doubt. Death is the enemy. But it is an enemy that God in Christ has defeated. It is an enemy that is on its final legs, and when Jesus comes again, it will be done away with once and for all. In the certainty of this conviction, knowing that God has defeated death and delivered him from hell, the psalmist asks in verse 12, How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And here we see an interesting turn. You might have noticed that this psalm is very personal. It uses first-person singular language, I, me, my. But here after verse 12, the I joins the we, so to speak. The psalmist moves from a place of personal thankfulness, remembering what God has done on his behalf in his own life, to a place of public expression of thanks for God's deliverance. The things that he describes are things that take place in public worship. The feeling of thanks is personal and individual, but the expression of that thanks takes place in the public gathering of God's people. And this is how we express our thankfulness for what God has done for us as well. We come together as God's gathered people, called into his presence, delivered from death, our sins forgiven, and we praise the name of the Lord. We lift up the cup of salvation, the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood, every time we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We call on the name of the Lord together through prayer and through song. We make vows and keep them in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of his people. Vows of baptism and profession of faith, the vows of marriage and ordination, the vows of parents and children and new believers and elders and deacons and pastors. We give our offerings to God every time we come together for worship to recognize that God has delivered us from sin and death and blessed us with many good things and that everything that we have, we owe to him. These are the things that we do in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. And all of it comes to a head in the last sentence of this psalm. Praise the Lord. The purpose of our existence Praise the Lord. The ancient Hebrew cry, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Everything leads up to this. The psalmist's whole purpose in life is to praise the Lord because he has been delivered from death by the God who is powerful, freed from his chains by the God who is gracious, forgiven of his sins by the God who died on his behalf, given rest for his soul by the God who rested in the tomb, restored to life by the God who created life. And this is our story too. When we were dead, Christ died to give us life. When we were slaves, Christ gave himself to set us free. When we were sinners, lost, wandering in the darkness, Christ sought us out and restored us to himself. Death has been defeated 
Christ has been raised from the dead and given us new life in the Spirit. So let us praise our Lord in thanks and faithful service all the days of our lives. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Be at rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.